Hi, Callie. <laughs> hey, Michelle. We're together in the same room again. I love it. I know. Me love too. Love to see it. I know. And we each have our own microphone today. We do. And I'm going to talk into mine today. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be and so great. we don't great. have the air conditioner on. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I will not apologize for the air conditioner noise because we're recording in New Orleans in July and August. So, sorry, I'm not sorry. Yeah, I'm not sorry. I do not do not apologize. No, no apologizing. Honestly, to get information like this, you used to have to listen to like shitty AM radio broadcasts. That's so, so real. Maybe people need to stop. I mean, nobody's been complaining. I'm making up reasons <laughs> to be mad in my head. <laughs> Everybody better knock it off, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody inside my head better chill. Or we're going to have a problem. Hey, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, so we have all kinds of exciting things happening today. I'm excited. I know. Well, so first off, I made something for you. Oh, I'm going to listen to it right now. Yeah. Let's, oh, hell um, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. So uh, this is like my, this is my first thing ever. And it's a present for you. Oh my God. <laughs> Your first thing. Well, you'll have to hear it. When you hear it, you'll under I don't know what to call it. You can tell me what to call it after okay. you listen I'm to listen it. Listen to it on my headphones. Okay. But then I'll digitally add it. Sounds like a plan. Okay, let's see. I'm so excited. Okay, I have received the data. I'm pulling it up. And just for my own audio syncing, I'm pressing play right now. Stop being a jerk. Look at them smiling. <laughs> you can come down, have a cut. Got a bunch of criminals coming down on us. Cut. Think my testosterone's going up. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Simply calling your friends. The left coast communist posing as anarchist under Delta Force direction. This is a perfect textbook example of problem, reaction, solution. I think my testosterone's going up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is basically the equivalent of a microscopic Excuse worm. Me. Starts eating your brain. Oh, yeah. A bunch of anarchists, 30 or 40 of them tops, run around and burn and break things because they were ordered to do so. Anarchists, anarchists, anarchists. Oh my god! We are extremist dissidents engaging in thought crimes. incredible what that was amazing thank you that was like very klf thank you oh my gosh really thank yes. you so much holy shit so you made that with your sampler i yeah with um with well with my mix pad yeah and my i use my sampler yes um dj Cairo helped me get some of the samples that day we went to coffee oh, and i was yeah. like i'm gonna go get these samples and you're like like what i had no backup for that i was like um stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was so good thank you i love it i feel like it's it's like audio art yes 
audio like, art. I, I could take see that. it like in a museum with like a cool projection. Hell yes. It's like performance art. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll take that. I like it. I like it. Audiomancy. Audiomancy. What, what Keith says. That's right. Yeah. So um, wow. we'll put it up on the Patreon. Thank you so much. Well, I'm, I'm going to put it in this episode. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put it up. We'll put, this is what I'm thinking. We'll, we'll put the individual. We'll put the individual. File. Yeah. Up on the Patreon. If any, if you want to use it for anything, it is copyright free. So. Oh my God. Please She's do. open source musician. Yeah. I'm an open source musician. You're so cool. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. You know what? I will tell you this, though. It took 10 straight hours. Oh, I love that, though. <laughs> oh, I love that. So were you up, like, really late into the night doing it? I started it, it early in the morning one morning, and I was like, oh, I'll just do a little bit. And then, like, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop until I felt like I had it. At least, to, like, yes, there's, I a love that. there's a couple things I would do differently, obviously, but, like, Anybody who Not does obvious to me. Anybody who does anything, you're always like, well, next time, you know, every yeah, artist. Yeah, you gotta is learn like, every time. Right, but I was like, this is pretty good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it. So anyway, um, and I thought it was a good intro to um, our talk today. Wow, <laughs> this is an immersive experience. <laughs> Hell yeah! Oh yes! Yeah. Oh my god, that's so cool. I know. And then you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. He's on trial this week, so like, it's yeah. it's all really it, extraordinarily timely. Jones on the mind. Yeah, totally. My totally. brain, my brain worm. He's my little brain worm. I know. That's why I said. So that's why I was like, I was like, Callie always manages to do. An Alex Jones impersonation during the episode. And so, like, I wanted to get these clips. Because wow. the clips about the anarchists that are in there are from a movie from 2000. Pre-9-11? Uh, yeah, pre-9-11. Wow. Because what he's talking about is the battle in Seattle, which was... <gasps> We need to do an episode about that. Yeah, we should. Honestly, we should maybe sometime get somebody who was there. Yeah, that was to amazing. come on and talk about it. Um, because I was not there. I was on the fringes of it, um, but I was not actually at the battle in Seattle. So, for those of you who don't know, um, so those FBI's listening, Michelle was not. I was there. not there. <laughs> it's. it's Funny because we were just watching this clip on Twitter of Alex Jones at his like Sandy Hook trial this week that is so satisfying to watch because for me it's just the first time watching his manipulative drivel be like called out in real time in a way that he can't run away or edit it out or do anything. Like mm -hmm. I feel like so much of his quote-unquote politics is like manipulation through omission or just like guiding people in the wrong direction like showing people things that are real but then being like but then i'm going to take you over here to the crazy right-wing area of the room where like these facts can lead you if you like don't think critically about you know, because things like land rights, uh huh, right, and like li like the government being able to like come onto your quote unquote property or whatever, right? Like you know, that could be bad, but like the way that he leads people is like such a crazy direction that I would never go down. You know, but mm -hmm. I got really fascinated just watching him 
spin the lies and spin his narrative because I wanted to like understand like the origins of this thought process basically. And really what I see is just so many people getting into these really circular arguments where mm-hmm. anytime somebody brings up like a good point on the other side, they just spin it out and manipulate it out. And that's like what he's always doing. And like in this court case, you can see like when this lawyer is like asking him these questions, like, well, did you say on the record that you didn't have these text messages? And he's just like, oh, well now you're having your moment and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And then the judge is like, answer the question, Mr. Jones. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, you can't just get out of this anymore. Like there's a hot goth lady right there to tell you that you like, can't just answer a question with another question to avoid having to answer the first question. Like you actually have to answer what's being asked of you. It's very satisfying. Yeah, it is very satisfying. And the hot goth lady, by the way, is the judge. For those of you who don't know, we (laughs) decided today that when she takes off that robe, she has a full body tattoo. Yeah. And she's going to take Alex Jones out. I hope so. She She looks very cool and goth. She gives no fucks. Yeah, she's got black hair, red (laughs) lipstick, dark eyes. The dark eye shadow was getting me. Dark eye shadow, yeah. (laughs) She looks very goth. Yeah, it's very cool. So... So Good. we're right on time. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Pull and so to the station. Toot toot. <laughs> and those are those are old clips. I mean, in a way you can kind of hear it if you listen to Alex Jones talking about the anarchists. He is at that point in time, you know, it's 22 years ago. He is uh, he's a little bit you can he's a little bit more on script and there's a little less like uh, pathology in his voice if you listen really closely, you know. Um, also getting the um, getting the samples for that was interesting because it was like it was kind of easy because like the pauses are so deliberate. Like his speech at that period of time was like so deliberate in a way that like he's just so Alex Jones now that even on the stand, he's like, oh, there you are with your mo like he's still trying to do it even on on the stand. So it's an interesting evolution also there. Yeah, it seems like because he got oh God, I don't want to go on this Alex Jones tangent, but (laughs) he started doing these videos when he was like 22. Wow. And maybe back then, I mean like, when you're 22, I mean, me personally, I definitely was not fully developed into my personality, right. into my politics. But it seemed like he just got started really young in this thing that, like, gave him attention and made him feel special. And it, like, informed... It's like that developed his whole personality and informed who he is and, like, how he acts and how he moves through the world. It's just like, yeah. oh, well if I speak about things like I know what I'm talking about and in a way that gets people incensed, then they'll pay attention to me. Right. And then like, I get to be this great, cool guy. Getting but then he's just attention. like, they're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> and just like really jumping the shark, honestly. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I love that phrase. Jumping the shark. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean like, in that clip that's in that we just played, you know, where he talks about um, the left coast communists pretending to be anarchists under Delta Force. So he's saying that the I mean, it's just like it's so illogical even then. Like he's saying like that the government Delta is according to Alex Jones, they got a bunch of communists. This makes zero sense to play, pretend to be anarchists. 
Yeah. What? What? What is he talking about? Why? What are you talking about? What are you dude? talking about? But it was scary, I think, to his is his audience, you know. And so the point of pretending to of the government getting communist—that's the part that really probably throws me off the most. I'm like, why? Why communists, Alex? Like, why not just... I guess he didn't have crisis actors yet. I guess he didn't have that narrative yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny seeing it be the same thing, though, with different words. Yeah, right? It's like, oh, this is just the shtick you're going for because people can't prove or disprove it. Right, right. And it sounds scary. Delta, making communists be anarchists. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, I can see, like, old men, you know, at home being like, oh, my God. Um, so. They're turning the communists into anarchists. <laughs> yeah. Get the gun. Totally. Go get the gun. <laughs> totally, right? But his point being, what the point he was trying to make is that the government, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but that the government was getting communists to pretend to be anarchists and break windows in Seattle to um, push away legitimate protest. Uh, why? Oh. Right? So that Tale as old as time. Right? The rioters and the looters are ruining the protest, the peaceful protest. Right. It's exactly the same story. And again, it, do, it, it makes no sense from, from, any, from any perspective. Like, get behind, uh, get behind what's going on, folks, because especially, like, Battle in Seattle, which was November 30th, 1999, and it was huge protests against the World Trade Organization at the time, um, which, if you don't know the WTO, that was came up in 1995 uh, through the Clintons. This is a Clinton oh. White House, so mm -hmm. we'll be getting into this some more over the winter when we do our Clinton deep dive. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a uh, it's an international trading agency that regulates trade, but it replaced uh, gen the general agreements tariffs, and it now the WTO now regulates quote unquote over ninety eight percent of global trade and GDP, which is the gross domestic product of any country so the world trade organization has way too much power and so gotcha right and so many people after you know not just the anarchists and the communists but many people were against the uh making of the world trade organization and so they were having their conference at g20 i think they it was a g20 conference in 1999, and you had lar large numbers of people who went out to protest this um, situation. Not really that many anarchists in comparison to how many other kinds of people were there. You know, teachers, your mom might have been there. You know what I mean? Bonnet? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> uh, so, so, and that was kind of, and Alex Jones, this is the thing that doesn't make sense about him, and I think a lot of people today. It's not just about Alex Jones, but the G20, this, this particular protest was successful. They shut down the G20. Like, they shut down the WTO. Like, it was... They did it. They succeeded, right? So this is part of why we don't hear a lot about it is because it was a very successful protest, right? Enacted by people across spectrum of society who were like, this sucks, right? So, so you don't hear as much about it. But what I want to say is just remember that one of the ways pundits like Alex Jones 
Um, and, you know, people on MSNBC and CNN who are, you know, they're not on our side. They're all full of shit, you know. And so they also have this reason to be like, well, legitimate protest, quote unquote. What does that mean? Okay. Boy, so like, you know, somebody, somebody set a trash can on fire and that's why you can't have nice things. You know, like, come on. Like, that doesn't make sense. We all need to, like, get off that page no matter where. You're coming from, or if you think the trash cans don't need to be set on fire, here's what I think about that. Just ignore it. I am pro-fire. I am I am as extremely well. yep. pro-fire. Oh, listen, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised. No, I don't To hear that so. we're pro-fire. Right. But, like, I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, that Roe versus Wade day, I was like, nothing's going to make me feel good unless it's a building on fire. <laughs> and I know that's not going to happen, so I'm just going to stay inside and cry. Right. To the FBI agents listening, Callie stayed and cried inside and I cried did. I that mean, day. I nothing caught on fire in New Orleans. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Right. I just, from my perspective, if you're against that sort of thing and you see it, just don't see it. Just look just the other way. It. It just don't see it. It does not fucking affect you. It doesn't at all. People getting all upset about people robbing and looting. I'm like... Look at what they're making us pay for gas. You don't feel looted by that? Yeah, and you're mad about people stealing a cool TV so they can watch movies? Right. I mean, if you look at, like, um, wage theft in comparison to basic petty theft by people, you'll be really blown away. And you can see some of that on our Twitter feed, on our secret antenna Twitter feed. Let the people have their plasmas. Please. That's all we ask. One home for every person <laughs> and a plasma in every home. <laughs> and a car and a cute dog. A chicken on your plasma in every home. Yeah. <laughs> and a bed of roses. And a bed of roses. I could not agree more, Callie. And a hot tub. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all you get, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Communists. <laughs> Uh, we're having a good time over oh here my today. God. <laughs> so what we're going to be talking about today, though, and I'm really excited about this book, is um, it's a book, it's mostly, it's an essay. It's a long essay, and it's a complicated essay, but it comes from, um, by it's by Erica Lagalise, and it is titled, Occult Features of Anarchism with Attention to the Conspiracy of Kings and the Conspiracy of Peoples. I guess I want to shout out, uh, I found this book at Sisters in Christ record store right. in New Orleans. I tried to read it. I could not understand it. It is very, uh, what's the word, academically written. It's like written to be read by other academics, not yes. by Callie. It's, <laughs> it's, it's. It's it's very complicated. I ha I do have to say that. It is. It's written it's an academic paper written for other academics. It really is. And if you don't kind of know some of this stuff already, like it's gonna be it's really gonna go past you, honestly. I so, tried. I gave it the old college try. I'm glad that you're gonna explain it to me I'm because I'm gonna do my best. It may like reading books like that just makes me feel like I don't know how to read. 
Yeah, I mean, th I mean, this one is so dense and so complicated. It's actually funny if you look at the, if you look at my copy of the book where I've I've put boxes around what I'm going to read from today. I also have done a lot of editing. You can see where I cross out all these words and all these things that she's saying, even to read to you because it's so overly complicated. Oh my in god! Some thank ways. you. This uh, is right, you're doing the Lord's work. And she has her reasons for doing that, and I respect them at the same time. that I am going to try to break it down for everybody today, um, too. So where to begin? Because in so many ways, you can take this book many different directions, and I hope that I've chosen a good path through the book today. I'm going to go ahead and skip. There's an intro by Barbara Ehrenreich, and then there's an intro from Erica Lagalese. And... That part of the book, honestly, is probably more complicated than the rest of the book. Just because she's walking so many lines, Erica Lagalese, who wrote the book, is walking so many fine lines that it's complicated just to get through her intro. But it, this is a very, what she did here is very difficult to write without making almost everybody angry. So she tries to like, tries to address some of that in the intro. So I'm going to start a little bit, though, here. We're going to talk about conspiracy here quite a bit, which is another reason um, why we, we, start, we kicked it off with Alex Jones and anarchists and conspiracies. Um, because it's a big part of our, it's a big part of our current, I mean, it's always been a big part of social conversations, apparently throughout time, a variety of conspiracies. But we're definitely at a point in our own culture where breaking down what conspiracy means and who who kind of <laughs> owns the means of conspiracy production in a way. I mean, something that I think this will get brought up. I think it's in a something I'm going to read today. But just for example, like George Bush talking about weapons of mass destruction that started the you know, that a lot, I won't say started the war, he's, they started the war, him and his people started the war, um, the decimation of Iraq, but it was based on him saying there were weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, that was definitely a conspiracy theory. Definitely. I mean... Because it was a lie. Right. It was a theory that they conspired yes. to accomplish a shitty goal. Yes. Like, absolutely. So you have people conspiring together to tell that lie so that they can decimate an entire country and its and its history and do all the terrible things that they did there. So that's a conspiracy, but we don't really seem to call that a conspiracy. So I think we need to talk about, I mean... Yeah, that makes more sense as like a, a textbook definition of conspiracy theory would be George Bush saying publicly that there's weapons of mass destruction. Yes in Iraq. Right. So there's one thing. That's one cut that we need to make. Like, who's in charge? of Who has... Who's? I mean, we all know that that weapons of mass destruction was a lie, but we don't talk about it as a conspiracy. Why don't we? We should. Um, right? And then when you take this down, when you have uh, kind of your regular everyday people trying to talk about power in a way that makes sense to us we tend to get called conspiracy theorists. Where, so who writes? Yeah, it's used as a way to undermine real questions yes. about like what the fuck is going on. Right. 
like people say like MK Ultra, they treat it like a conspiracy theory when it's like a real thing. Yeah, it actually happened. But that's what like that whole meme about how like leftist conspiracy theories are like documented things that happened and are proven and mm-hmm. right wing conspiracies are like ancient aliens. Absolutely. I, and, you know, I want like talk about a conspiracy right there to you. Because who, like, who's paying for these things to get made? Who's paying for, like, Gaia TV? That's a big uh, conspiracy outlet that uh, that's out there. I mean, that's just one. Alex Jones was bought and paid for. Uh, mm-hmm. Gaia TV's bought and paid for. Um, the people who are propping up the working classes, maybe you would say, or... I think, like, let me say something about Ancient Aliens really quick. Okay. Just going based off the last many episodes we made about Dawn of Everything mm-hmm. and how liberating oh, yeah. that book was to read, just to think yeah. about like other things other civilizations have accomplished and how that feeling made us think about how there's another world possible. And then there's this whole program that's like, no, it was aliens. Right. There wasn't other, there's not other ways to live in as aliens. Yeah, right. And I mean, you know, and, and so many of us, I feel like myself included, try to like go down that the aliens route for entertainment, you know, and then kind of wind up being like, I don't know, man, maybe it's real, <laughs> you know. So like, yeah, I mean, because again, like conspiracy theories, kind of. Well, I don't know. It's hard to define these theories, whether or not they're conspiracy or not, mm-hmm. thrive in environments where you like can't find the answers. Like people right. can't tell you like. Yes or no, either way. But then when you just right. think about it in the context of like, okay, is this somebody trying to do this on purpose? Right. Okay, is there a goal that they're achieving? Because, yeah, aliens are entertaining. Aliens are entertaining. And possibly there are extraterrestrials. There probably are. But that has nothing to do with... Um, Other civilizations being with, able to right. exist on Earth. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, right. Or that they built the pyramids, any of the pyramids, all the world over, as we just learned. There's pyramids everywhere. That's something else we haven't been told. I mean, you want to talk about a conspiracy, too, is, you know, there was there was a concerted effort to dissociate Egypt and what we call like ancient Egypt, right, from the fact that it's part of the African, it's on the Af- it's African. Oh, yeah, it's right? just racist. It, right, and so, but there was, that's not an accident that we, that so many people really don't put together that Egypt is in Africa, mm-hmm. uh, right? That's just like, th- I mean, that's a conspiracy that's theory. That's a conspiracy. Like, U.S. history, world history yes. in public school is a conspiracy theory. It absolutely Big is. Big time. Big time. Big o time right. Why did I think that indigenous people wanted to fuck with white people like that? Okay. Right? There's a conspiracy. Why did I think the white people were not murdering these people? Mm-hmm. That was a conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, you're right. And what we have so much of now, I mean, we have so many overlapping things here that you can't really pull them apart. So in our attempts to become coherent, as we talk about often, uh, we have to also recognize that we can't totally pull these omelets apart. Like an omelet's an omelet is an omelet, right? So like parts where you're just gonna have to pick it apart as you eat it, right? And like maybe you don't like the olives and you gotta push them off to the side of your plate, okay? So that's, that's Are you trying to call me out? Uh, just a little bit. Oh um. my God. <laughs> this is a conspiracy theory. 
Uh, to also keep in mind that we have like some class issues going on here. So when you hear like Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, you know, putting down people for believing in the Illuminati and things like this, um, she has a reason for doing that that's really class oriented and that also wants to pull the rest of us away, pull us away from looking at conspiracies that are happening like Oklahoma City bombing, mm. um, Ruby Ridge, mm -hmm. Waco, you know, all of these things that we've yeah. talked about Waco's already. The cr yeah, Waco's, Waco's crazy. still remain. I mean, maybe it's the, because that's the one that I got really deep in. Mm -hmm. researching and stuff but mm -hmm. that shit is it's just so crazy to me how much they just fucking lied about it lied. and how they like went in there with tanks and blew those people up and they're trying like to this day people are like oh yeah suicide cult i'm like D not even you close. are so crazy right i mean conspiracy theory well and the atf conspired to go do this thing exactly. in order to cover their tracks at Ruby Ridge, or to, not to cover their tracks, but to re redeem redeem themselves. Right. So it was an absolute conspiracy from beginning to end. Yeah. Listen to our episode on that yeah. if you don't know. I went in. We read Revelations at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was crazy. I mean, yeah. that was like first summer of quarantine. I yeah. was still living alone. Yeah. Not working. <laughs> On that government money. Oh, yeah. I went in on that Waco uh, shit. Yeah. Our Waco episode is great. So, yeah, you can go listen to that. So, it pulls us back because you sound, if you're listening to mainstream pundits, mainstream conspiracy theorists, honestly. On, Bam. Yeah. On this, then, you know, why are Callie and I picking apart these these stories? We all we need to just get on board with the same people like Rachel. I don't know why I'm picking on Rachel Maddow so much. I just don't like her. Um, <laughs> she deserves it. <laughs> right. Um, we need to get on board with these same liberals, these neoliberals, and just toe this line to save ourselves from the crazy conspiracy theorists. And, you know, I just, I don't feel saved. I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable with mainstream conspiracies. I don't feel so comfortable with Illuminati conspiracies. I don't feel comfortable with Alex Jones conspiracies. I only feel comfortable with secret antenna conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Okay. Bam. Blammo. <laughs> Period. That's so funny and honestly so accurate right? for my life <laughs> as well. So stick with us, folks. Um, all right. But I guess in our defense, the stuff that we talk about, at least publicly, is yeah. very documented. Yeah. So it's like we're not even really speculating that hard. Well, I mean, in the dawn of everything, of course, we're speculating. But and everything else we talked about, it's like there's literally papers. Yeah. Paper trails proving this stuff. Yes. And which we cite in all of our episodes and when we are speculating some you know some of that Dave McGowan stuff is a lot of speculation, but like we mention that. We talk conjecture about that. Conjecture time. Right. Or yeah, we have conjecture hour. So we let you know when that's when we're just like kicking it with that. When we're just theorizing. When we're just theorizing. Or doing our own conspiracy Our theories. own conspiracy. Theories. Unfortunately <laughs> for us, I don't think we're powerful enough to really even really be conspiracy theories maybe not maybe there's not an element of power that goes along with it maybe we can be the conspiracy theorists we've always wanted to be oh god i hope so i really hope so mm, i'm gonna make up something right now <laughs> no i'm just kidding all right well let me read a little bit from um 
from this book, from uh, Cult Features of Anarchism. All right. So, all right. This is from, this is kind of from the end of the book. Oh, that's another thing. If you do decide to get this book, you should go straight to the section titled Anarchism as a Historical Object, Attending to Questions of Race, Class, and Gender, and read that section first. It's at the back of the book, and skip the intros, and then read the beginning. Thank you for You're explaining welcome. how to read. <laughs> I do need it. I'm just like, hey, if that's a, because that, other, other people have said thanks for that. So if that's a feature of Secret Antenna that everybody appreciates, I will continue <laughs> to tell you how to read it. Please, those. read it in this order so you understand it. Yeah, we absolutely. All, that. all right, so this is from the book. The people who use conspiracy theory and its derivations as epitaphs, meaning insults, proceed as if there exists a certain criteria by which conspiracy theory may be defined. Presumably, conspiracy theories rely on errant data. They attribute too much agency to high-ranking individuals or government agencies. Their adherents proceed in poor faith by lending more weight to information that corroborates their existing theories, confirmation bias, than information that calls their ideas into question. Contradictory evidence is taken merely as more proof of conspiracy, and so on. Yet, if these were effective criteria, then the theory that Saddam Hussein possessed weapons of mass destruction, which served to justify the United States waging war on Iraq at the turn of the millennium, would be considered a conspiracy theory. And generally speaking, it is not. In fact, there is no single principle by which conspiracy theory may be defined. Insofar as the phrase conspiracy theory has meaning, it resides in its function as a phrase used specifically to refer to popular ideas for the purpose of disqualifying them from respectful consideration. Theories of conspiracy that are communicated by those above are not labeled conspiracy theories, even if they are false and involve fantastic or incredible premises, whereas theories of conspiracy expounded by those below can rarely shake the conspiracy theory label once it has been publicly applied. We will return to this question. Of course, it does remain the case that some ideas commonly marked as conspiracy theory are inaccurate and legitimately disturbing to those who seek to develop a broad-based anti-capitalist resistance movement. Some of these misguided theories have become very widespread and involve groups mentioned in this work, Freemasons, Illuminati, anarchists. I mean, that's like pretty much what we were just saying. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's, you know, that's where um, some of this book comes from. There's a lot here. So we'll try to go through Yeah, when I first picked up this book, I kind of thought it was going to be about, like, occultism and anarchism. But that's right. not what it's about at all. It's about the secrecy that goes along with having, like, a counterculture belief system. Or at least from the very tiny bit that I was able to yeah. read before I felt... Like, I was not understanding it. But it seemed more like, in this scenario, she's using the word occult to describe, like, secret. Not, like, esoteric. Well, it gets into both. We get into some of both here. Like, she is, I mean, occult does mean secret. That is what it means. Um, but we do have we do have some magic that we're going to talk about oh. here. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I did not get that far. Yeah. I mean... There's a lot here, and her aims in this book are, they're political in a lot of ways in, t in the degree that she is really looking for 
um, working people, working anarchists, people not from the academic class to be taken seriously as members of a serious resistance. And that is maybe by academics and by people who have more power economically and educationally, she's really looking to say like, you can't just keep talking down to these people and pushing them out of your movements or denying that all of these people, because this includes, it's not just working class people here, you're talking about indigenous people, you're talking about people from with uh, different uh, spiritual beliefs that are often sidelined by people who want to show up to like, okay, we're finally here. Thank God we're here to organize all of you people, right? Right. I think I remember reading that in the beginning how some groups like had issues with people who had like religious practices. Right, right. Um, Which is just like, damn, if you're an anarchist, you should kind of just like live and let live, no? I think so, yeah. I it's kind of like totally. the whole fucking point. It's the whole fucking point. Live and let live unless somebody's causing harm. Right, yes. Defining harm is right. very complicated. But it's all very complicated. So again, we're in the omelet today. Oh, so, yeah, um, baby. Let me read. Okay. Right, let me read a little bit more here, and then we're going to talk about some... Um, kind of what anarchism means in some ways. So I did, which is not really in the book, but I thought that would be a good place for uh, something for us to talk about today. But let me read a little bit more about conspiracy theories. Perhaps theories of conspiracy are rapidly dismissed by intellectual elites precisely because they uncomfortably highlight disavowed agency among persons of the professional class. Maybe members of the ruling class simply don't want to think about the fact that they do enjoy more power to affect institutional affairs than the janitor does, because then they would have to feel partially responsible for the workings of global capitalism. So, and I think also most people, and we see this a lot when we talk, when we talk about privilege or talk about the ruling class, most people don't see themselves as part of that, even though they're saying, oh, well, you know, I don't have all this privilege. You think I have all of this privilege, um, which kind of in its way is its own conspiracy because it's like, it's like I don't think that you have all this privilege, quote, unquote. I think you have these specific privileges. The point is, like, a lot of people want to, like, deny and run away from even talking about their own privileges, yes. like, at all. I mean, it's just you feel guilt. You mm. just avoid it. It's like a guilt tendency. It's like you feel guilty and you want to avoid it. Right. Like, I'm sure we've both been there just as white people who are trying to be radical. Mm -hmm. You know, you deal with a lot of guilt and you just have to like fucking work through it and denying it and not admitting it is not like how you work through it. That's true. That's true. And I think also like recognizing that, like I can recognize that somebody who like, owns a family that owns a house and then they have like a cabin in the woods that they own where they go camping and they have two new cars that they don't have a lot of liquid money and they might be putting a lot on credit cards and accruing debt and I can appreciate that their life is stressful as long as they don't tell me that they're not privileged. Boom. Right? Like yeah. I get it 
from day to day, you're, it's all about to fall apart on you. Like, I can see you in that situation as yeah. long as you... But, like, why are you trying to live like this? I mean, I could question all of that, but it's just more to my... More, to, more for me in this moment, and what I'm saying in this moment is just to be like, I can see you. Don't tell me you're not privileged, though. Mm. Like, I right. can see your stress. I understand. Yeah. Like, you, you need that health insurance so you can get that Klonopin. Like, I get it. <laughs> me <laughs> you know i get it at the same time because i think a lot of times when people are like well i have it's not easy for me to maintain my lifestyle then they get they they're like therefore i'm not privileged and i think right and then right. you have to like look at like what what is the lifestyle you're trying to maintain and why Agreed. i think like when i break down like if i think about somebody if they're the only member of their household and they're making a hundred thousand dollars and they have like two kids and a spouse to support mm-hmm. But still, like, people do that on $12 an hour jobs. And they just, you know, it's really, really hard. For example, I know this person who just recently, like, their car is having an issue and they, like, can't get it fixed. And, like, all they fucking do is, like, complain about how they have to take public transit and they don't want to, like, work certain shifts because, like, it's not safe at night for them to be walking. It's like, yeah, all this is true. And that sounds stressful. But at the same time, I know a billion, billion service industry people in this fucking city, restaurants, strippers, fucking everybody who like works in actual dangerous areas till late, late, late at night and then has to fucking Uber home. And they just do it and they it's part of their lifestyle. And it's like, you know, when people have to consider, I think it's really like when people have to consider like dropping and putting air quotes, like dropping down into like a lifestyle that they feel is beneath them. Mm-hmm. They act like they're not privileged. Like they're like, it's not privileged of me to want to like maintain this class status that I have. Right. But, like, yes, it is. Like, I get why you want that. Like, it sucks that these service industry people have to pay fucking $40 a day just to get to and from work. Like, that's crazy. But, like, that's the world, baby. That's the world. And just, um, yeah, have being stressed about whether or not you're going to be able to, to make it doesn't mean that you don't have privilege, myself included. So, like, and I just want to say, too, just, like, I can see the stress of people who have what I would consider to be a lot, and I can understand um, the stress in that, and it just doesn't make you not privileged. That's that's all. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, um, all right, let me read a little bit more from here. One feature of conspiracy theory off-maligned by elite observers is a suggestion inherent to many popular theories that global power functions as an entirely streamlined system with total orchestration topping exactly one extremely pointy pyramid. It is true that social scientists could productively contribute compelling critiques in this regard. So this is an important aspect to break down some of this conspiracy stuff too, is the world is full of conspiracies. Like we talk about the ATF conspiring Mm -hmm. to redeem themselves, Mm -hmm. right? That's not coming from some guy at the top of a pyramid who's like, hello, ATF, are you listening? Now we're going to do this so that all the sheeple stay asleep, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? 
So there's there's all these overlapping conspiracies of uh, government agencies that are trying to uh, keep themselves afloat in these variety of ways. Uh, these corporations that are trying to make money and they're each doing their own type of conspiracy. There's millions of conspiracies. There's a million moving parts, as they say, right? So there's m there's all these many many overlapping conspiracies that are all in service, and this is where. Okay, let me see if I can break this down because for people who are who are coming from the kind of Illuminati type modern day Illuminati type conspiracy theory, for them this is all one one world government, the new world order. We all have there's one top of the pyramid that's controlling all of this, right? And so we want to discount that because like that's not true, right? But we also can look at it as a manner of speaking. And I think if we look at it as a, because at the end of the day, you really do have, even though these conspiracies that we're talking about are all um, independent of one another, right? At the end of the day, they are all working towards what meets the needs and goals of global capitalism. Boom. Right? So like, blam. Right. And also, bureaucracy bureaucracy absolutely because when i really think of the motivations for these atf people to you know make up these lies make up these reasons kind of like craft this epic raid they thought they were going to have on their hands mm -hmm. that was going to make their department valid mm -hmm. um they did that because they wanted to like keep their jobs because yes. it's I, it just seems like it's a lot of paperwork maybe to defund a, a department and also like to probably get it started. It's also a lot of paperwork and ultimately like these people want their jobs because they got to feed their family. That's right. Et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's just like, damn, you know how you could feed your families making a farm with a bunch of cool <laughs> other people on a commune where you live together intentionally, but yeah, but, you know, don't mind us. But you need your car. Yeah, and I mean, and too, in that, like, not just individual people, in that particular example, not just independent pe individual people needing their jobs with the ATF, but needing the ATF to continue to exist. Exactly. Which was a new, a newish organization at the time, and they really fucked up in the beginning. And so in or they had to make a reason why they're the agency itself needed to exist. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, thank you for explaining it in a better way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, and it's, when you think about it like that, it's literally like bureaucracy and capitalism just working together to like force, in a way, like force the hands. Yeah. You know, and that's a fucking conspiracy theory, bitch. That is I'm a sorry. conspiracy <laughs> theory. No, it really is. But the other thing too about these this like idea that it's somebody at the top of the pyramid or whatever, whatever, you know, the whole point is that it's actually the opposite of that. Like yeah. if anything's at the top of the pyramid, it's it's concepts. It's not like a person. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so hard to like pin it down and yes. make a change because it's not like a person. It's not an individual. It's not even like a small group of individuals. It's like a huge, huge web of yes. like conceptual lies that are like tricking people to be trapped into this lifestyle. 
That's it, exactly. That's a conspiracy that's, theory, baby. That's the conspiracy. It is. It's a big, it's a big web. I'm sorry. Anytime we say web, I can't. I see the entire Bush family as a bunch of little spiders with man, men's heads and Barbara's head. Cute. <laughs> I would probably like them more. <laughs> I like spiders. <laughs> I know I do too. Um, yeah. So yes, conspiracies are more diffuse than that. And again, getting back to like maybe taking on some of these conspiracies because okay, I think too these days we see these Illuminati conspiracies as being primarily right wing, but they also where this book is a lot about anarchism and, and this concept also is some of that stuff came out of the anarchist the zapatista movement of the early 90s and so that's why she's on this is she's saying you have you have anarchists who were coming at power from this who were looking at power from this perspective and it needs to have it needs to have its own place as be as understanding a way to speak about power itself um, and at the same time, to be broken down from the idea that it's the top of a pyramid. That's why this work is so complicated, right? That's why. And she wasn't re writing it for normal people to no, be reading. No, she wasn't. Like, I think this is really like it's her PhD thesis, isn't it? It's somewhere or something along. Like that. It's somewhere in there. Um, I don't know that this was her actual thesis, but um, maybe she should rewrite it. Yeah, it would be more readable. It would be nice to have it to have it more readable. All of, but I mean, it's hard to even talk about these topics. You are listening to Secret Antenna, a completely unfunded podcast that we do for free. We made a Patreon to help us buy books and equipment, and we post full-length bonus episodes on there, mostly about topics we get a little more wacky on. Access to all of our content starts at a dollar a month, and you can subscribe at patreon.com slash secret antenna. So let's talk a little bit about the definition of anarchism. A few things that I will put on, the, on our social media, places that you can look, is um, we'll put up uh, Kim Kelly's article from Teen Vogue a few years back. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Philosophy Tube did a really good um, overview of anarchism. There's Haymarket Books, AK Press, PM Press. Um, I think a lot of times when we talk about anarchism, people in general, talk, I mean, it's a conspiracy to make sure that we kind of don't understand that anarchism is a political, is a legitimate and long-standing political philosophy, and it gets equated with um, just no rules and with you know the Sex Pistols, who were not anarchists. I don't think like they no, were. They were doing cosplay. <laughs> they were doing cosplay um, for sure. I mean, uh, but uh, I think it gets equated with that with that type of um, what do I want aesthetic, and I don't, and that's just not. That's not accurate. So if you go look yeah, at... Yeah, it's not... It's just like a misrepresentation. It's like, okay, maybe... Like, the only reason that the Sex Vessels even said anarchy or, like, I am an anarchist in that song is because it, like, rhymed. Like, he didn't even know what he was saying when he said that. <laughs> yeah, because if, if... I mean, John Lydon is definitely not an anarchist. John Lydon's like, where's my money? <laughs> He's a capitalist, you know? Yeah. Which, whatever. But, um... 
Yeah, that's really funny. Just because it did, it does rhyme actually really good <laughs> in that song. Um, so I want to, so I want to look at it from 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 a more accurate perspective of what it is as a political philosophy. You know, they say that we can imagine the end of the world easier than we can imagine the end of capitalism, and that's part of why anarchism has the um, the reputation that it has. Because what anarchism says, it's anti-colonial, anti-imperialist, anti-tyrannical, right? Anti like hierarchical. Uh, governments and corporations. And so we have this, in our modern day perception, we have this idea that, well, that means there's no rules then. And like what we're really, when you say that, what you're really saying is like, I can't exist without a queen. Without these like systems of oppression. The idea that without an oppressive government or oppressive rules, uh, oppressive oligarchs, right? Which is really how we live at this point in time. It's not really, I mean, our government in the United States is full of oligarchs, but it isn't really a government that's oppressing us. It's, it's uh, oligarchs with control of a government that are oppressing us. And so the idea that we cannot, that should that go away, should that be abolished, it would be the war of all against all. It takes us back to what we've discussed before uh, about Thomas Hobbes and his concept that that you know that's the nature of man. And I think we broke that down pretty well in one of our previous episodes. Yeah, like maybe that's the nature of you, right? An asshole. <laughs> well, and and the thing about this is, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go on here. It turns out, you know, Hobbes wasn't wasn't right like it wasn't just him theorizing from a linear perspective well up till now it's been the war of all against all so that must be the nature of man the thing is is that up till then it wasn't the war of all against all which we are going to get into a little bit today so Thomas Hobbes was making that up first of all from his own little perspective and so Getting on conspiracy with theory. Consp absolutely a conspiracy theory. And so so anarchism as a as a political perspective says we don't actually need um, uh, queens and tyrants and oligarchs and and oppressive uh, governments and corporations in order to survive. We don't we don't need those things. And that's pretty much the basis of it. Anarchism is a political theory advocating the abolition of hierarchical government, preferring the organization of society on a voluntary and cooperative basis without recourse to force or compulsion. That's that's what that means. So what anarchism is saying, and there's varieties of anarchism, but they all come back to pretty much a similar, a similar basis, is that we can organize. I mean, you know, the United States supposedly is government by the people for the people, but, <laughs> but we don't like, <laughs> right, we don't really, that's not really true. And if you look at where that idea even started, it was clearly not even a desire at the time. Uh, you know, right? Because that's being yeah, written. That was, that was a lie. A conspiracy that was a lie. theory. It was a conspiracy theory. The Bill of Rights is a conspiracy theory. Bro. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like when a lot of people think about like anarchy and no rules, et cetera, et cetera, people's thoughts are like, oh, everybody's just going to rob and commit quote unquote crimes and never work all the time. And I'm just like, 
this is this has existed before. This this right. has successfully existed before where intentional communities exist where people share responsibilities and duties because ultimately they're working towards a quality of life that is better. So they're putting effort into a community because they get so much back. But again, yes. like what we were saying earlier, it's like people just don't want to do things that they would perceive as like a drop in class. Like they would never want to commit. They would never like they'll do anything to avoid like a lifestyle change that would put them in what they perceive as like a lower class. And then also people in capitalism are like addicted to the power that they have. They would yeah. never want to let it go. Oh, that's so real. But then there's like the rest of us who are like, can we just like have community childcare and community farming and, you know, just live together and be intentional in a community. And I would gladly work doing that, you know, like that would be my dream job is to, work towards a communal living situation dream job yeah well and i think we need to too look at what jobs would no longer exist like for example the billing department all the bureaucracy right you wouldn't have to go to those jobs there wouldn't be a billing department there wouldn't be a marketing agency you, why do you have to market something unless i don't need it yeah you know, right? Why do you have to bill to me? be a tattoo artist. People right. want stuff like that. And I mean... Like, cool jobs would still exist. And service jobs would still exist in a lot of ways. Because we'll also think about status. Because, like, what you're saying is so true. People don't want to drop their power and their status, right? Well, uh, my question is, and you've heard me say this before, but you want to know who keeps us well in our society? It's not our doctors. It's the people who pick up the garbage. And so, like, what if that, why is that a low-status job? It should be a high-status job. And there are many people that would do the job. That, there are many people, so many people are caring and would like to do things that are caring, especially if they would get the status for it. I mean, like, who, why wouldn't there be these big dudes who, like, are like, oh, like, I like showing, like, I like being a big dude or whatever, who would want to, like, pick up your pick up the trash and get lauded for that as a as a status job like thank god thank you you're what's keeping me from getting diphtheria like you're a god you're a local god you know like that is how the hoppers should be treated it is how they should be treated and it is like it's the truth about take away all the police money and just give it all to the hoppers please for sure please and let them be gods <laughs> i mean like right Hell yeah. uh, hopefully you're fall everybody's following my train of thought on that this is so much about stories that that we tell this is so much about our how it's, we imagine yeah, like the our, war that we have for each other right so like what yeah right fixing the streets maintaining electricity like there are so many people who would want to like do this for the purpose of, like, well, I'm saving your grandmother. Like, she can, like, read her Bible <laughs> or whatever yeah. because of me. You know, and nursing and, and healing. Like, all of these 
all of this work that needs to be done, cooking food for people. How many people do you know that love to cook and serve food to people, but not necessarily want to like be in in an oppressive restaurant to do it? So all of these things that we really think people would not want to do, I disagree entirely. And I understand if you don't want to go to your job in the billing department and you're like, I would do anything besides work. That's fine. We're going to get rid of the billing department. And then you don't have to go to work at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll put, I'll put that out there. Um, so there's different form, forms and focuses of among anarchists. Um, but they have the commonality in basically anti-capitalism and anti-state. And I know that there's a documentary going around about anarcho-capitalists. And the thing is, I just want to say that's not a thing. And I would actually consider that to be yet another conspiracy, conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, although, like, I do know that um, you know Silicon Valley and some of those startup companies during the '90s, they were reading um, some anarchist material that actually is pretty disavowed at this point in time. Um, uh, the uh, autonomous zone, uh, the uh, temporary autonomous zone work, the hiking bay stuff is pretty much disavowed at this point in time by anarchists and were, was used very much so by Silicon Valley and by the startups or whatever to just say that they could do whatever they wanted. So I won't say that they weren't reading quote unquote anarchist literature, but I think that you'll have a, you'll get a lot of question about whether or not that specific work that they were using is of value to contemporary anarchists. So I do wanna say that, but at the same time also, anarcho-capitalism, I'm gonna say this, anarcho-capitalism is not a thing. Okay, it's a documentary. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> Do not fucking associate me with those fucking idiots. Right. Do not do it. Yeah, I can't believe my coworker that came in one day and I was just like, I don't even know what I said. I was just like, eh, fuck capitalism. And they were like, no, capitalism's great. And I was like, I really don't want to get into it. I'm an anarchist. Like, I just don't want to talk about it. And they were like, oh, I'm an anarchist, too. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. And I was just like, don't don't speak to me. Just stop just speak. Just away. stop talking. Just leave. <laughs> I really, I don't get paid enough to do this. You like, don't. please just leave me alone. Oh, my you God. Really don't. That's like bonus. You're like, I need a bonus. <laughs> for real. If, yeah, my rate would be way different for, like, fucking educating these fools because they are so... Anyways, I'm on a tangent. It's not real. Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory and it's not real. Right. And it's allowed to kind of grow based on the idea that anarchism means no rules because that is how anarcho-capitalists behave. They're like, there's no rules. I'm a pirate. So, like, (laughs) I'm a pirate in your grandma's wallet. I don't know. I like to bring everybody's grandma into things because I feel like Yeah, because it's not like you're not like a pirate, like, looting the British Navy. Right. You're not that kind of pirate. You're not a cool pirate. Right. Battling sea creatures with swords. Okay. Pirates are. You're as doing pirates everything do. from work from home. <laughs> you can't be a work from home pilot or pirate. You cannot be a work from home pirate. <laughs> That's the realest thing we're going to say all day. All right, people. Anarcho capitalists are people that think they can be work from home pirates. Period. <sighs> okay, but anarchy, the real anarchy, the cool one, right, is about autonomy and sovereignty of the individual. 
which again doesn't mean I get to do whatever I want. Like I can't, I can't invade your rights, your space, um, the things that you take care of that are technically are your property. Like I can't take those things. We don't need to have. We've said this before. Private property is corporate property. I know that goes back and I know there's the colloquialisms on that go back and forth a little bit, but there's but. But I you, think in my anarchist utopia, I'd be able to have a little bed of flowers that I grow. And if somebody came and stomped on my flowers, I would punch them in the face. Yep. <laughs> and that's my anarchy. And don't act like y'all don't want to punch people in the face when they step on your flowers, because you fucking do. Except the cops would come and arrest you instead of the person who stomped on your flowers. Whereas in our anarchist commune, we'd be like, you deserve that shit, bitch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck around and find out. Commune. <laughs> For real. <laughs> so I generally consider myself um, an anarcho-syndicalist, um, which actually can sometimes involve punching people in the face. So so we're right on time with that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't Snitches know. Snitches get stitches <laughs> farm. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, um... With a with, with, and like there, like I say, there's different there's different forms of of anarchism. There's anarcho communism, which goes way back. Uh, there's anarcho feminism. There's uh, uh, anarcho environmentalism. There's these different wings of anarchism. Most they all have in common being anti-capitalist and anti-state, anti-oppression. Uh, but they have different attitudes of where they think all of that's going to come from. So, and I can go across a variety of those, but for the most part, I would consider myself a syndicalist, which would mean that um, I see labor equity as the uh, first step towards the end of all supremacy. So it's a first step, getting, getting the, seizing the means of production, I suppose, or just having equity in the labor markets would be the first step towards ending male supremacy, white supremacy, hetero supremacy, but it does not automatically mean an end to those conditions. Like, you might hear that sometimes. Some, some anarchists might say, well, as soon as we get rid of capitalism, we were not going to have, like, sexism and white supremacy and hetero supremacy. But that's not, I don't see it that way. That's not true. But the end of capitalism and equity in the labor markets, ac labor equity would be the beginning to the end, the beginning of ending a variety of supremacies. That would be where I'm coming from with things. Um, so the syndicalist believes in autonomous organizations of individuals around work, exactly what we were talking about, right? So it's exactly the trash, the hoppers are gods, you know? So, and that would be, we would organize individually around that. And also, you wouldn't have to be a hopper full time either, mm. you know, right? We could all take turns. Four workday weeks. Yep. 20 hours total. Yep. $69 an hour. Four twenty sixty nine. dollars <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Callie, I think you got something there. <laughs> I would that I can't take credit for that. It's uh, a meme, but it's, meme. it's the most accurate okay. thing I've ever seen. You work five hours a day, four days a week, and make $69 an hour. Hell yeah. 420, God, let's why can't we just do this? 42069. I can't. It's like a perfect sacred num it sacred is. number. Perfect <laughs> ideal formula. 
Um, so autonomous organizations of individuals around work that eliminates wage systems, social classes, and all forms of not only capitalism, but capital itself. So that means wanting to destroy capital itself means that um, there can be no token wealth that can be used to harness or hoard resources of any kind, especially labor, right? Which is what we do now. All these rich people don't really have anything except tokens that we, these magic beans that we're like, yeah, you're right. Your beans are really magic, brother. $50,000 blazers. <laughs> I never will get over that one reality TV show. I think it was Bling Empire. Wow. And somebody had a $50,000 blazer. And I was just like, money is not real. You mean a jacket, not a truck. A jacket. A okay. blazer. Yeah. Not a car. Not, not a vehicle. A, not a truck. A jacket. A jacket. A coat. Yeah. See, no more of that nonsense. That, yeah. All right. <laughs> lies. It's just lies. It's a conspiracy. That jacket is a conspiracy theory. That jacket is a conspiracy. It is. I mean, it is. It is. Nothing, no, nothing. It's not worth that. It's only worth that because we say it's worth that. In this episode, <laughs> we list 100 conspiracy theories. See if you can find them all. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> That blazer is a conspiracy <laughs> theory, totally, though. It is totally a conspiracy theory. Um, unfortunately, all of our value, the way we handle value at this point in time, is a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I mean, for real. If there's a $50,000 fucking blazer... That's it. And I have to pay, like, 50... Like, I have to pay, like, 25% of my bank account to fill my car up. Yeah. No. That's a conspiracy... And the cons that they're conspiring... To drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they are, honestly. <laughs> the more they can scam scramble our brains and confuse us, the better it is for people with power. So uh, all again in this in the from a syndicalist perspective, you would have all production and distribution should be organized, maintained, and delegated by those individuals and community who do the work and who take care of the environment in which it's happening. Also, and this is where it gets to the punch of Nazi, is syndicalism also is denotes an openness to a variety of tactics. <laughs> including. Including, but not limited to strikes and sabotage, punching Nazis. Yes. Um, so, like, um, you know, I mean, the Weather Underground would have been included in that. They were blowing up buildings that had no people in them. This is very important. Uh, and also church committee who broke into the FBI offices would fall under this variety of tactics. These things are all very illegal. And, um, you know, certainly, I mean, if you don't, how do I want to say this? Like the church committee, for those of you who don't know, broke into, uh, they, they were later called the church committee because of Frank Church, the senator who uh, headed the um, 
getting the information they found out into the public. But they broke into an FBI office, and it's why we know about COINTELPRO. So had they not broken the law, we would not know about that. And in terms of the weather underground, they were doing sabotage on government buildings. Oh, I want to do a sabotage. Right, again, on, on um, buildings that had no one in them. And I want to make the distinction, just remember, you know, your government does um, sabotage of the same kind on buildings that are full of people, whether they're in this country or abroad. So, um, be gay, do crime is real. Absolutely. And the person who invented that is a friend of mine who is an actual anarchist. Sweet. So, when you see it being sold by like major corporations and shit, just know it was actually started by a very cool, real anarchist who isn't getting paid for it. No. They use it pretty much exclusively as a prisoner support fundraiser. Wow. Yeah. They're very, very cool. And they be gay and do crime. Yeah. Every day. I want to talk to you about, just briefly, about the difference between like civil disobedience and direct action in this day and age. I think at one point in time, you had civil disobedience that was, um, it was terrifying to people, you know, during uh, maybe in the U.S., maybe some of the Vietnam War protests, uh, certainly some of those civil rights protests, um, just more, that's more contemporary civil disobedience. Civil disobedience goes farther back than that, but let's just stick with that. Those things were frightening. Contemporary civil disobedience, like this has been going around, you know, that Old AOC didn't get handcuffed, you know, when she got arrested. Oh okay, God. so I just want to say this, though, like, and because I feel like people don't understand this. In contemporary civil disobedience, people sign up to be arrested. And so, like, you will send the police a copy of your ID and your name and beforehand, before you go to the protest. And then the cops come out and they're like, okay, line up. And if you know you signed up, you go line up, and they may or may not put handcuffs on you. So that is contemporary civil disobedience, which is non-threatening in every possible way. And that's why you had somebody, that's why you had a member of Congress doing it in the first place. If it was threatening, I don't think she'd be able to, like, do that. Um, but anyway, I just want, I've seen a lot go about, like, 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 like it was a conspiracy that she wasn't handcuffed. I'm like, that's just straight up modern protest and that's where yeah, i feel like i saw a lot of people being like oh it's just cringe she's like pretending to get handcuffed for like a photo op but i really didn't feel that deep about it either way honestly. i didn't feel that deep I about it like, whatever dude like fuck i didn't feel that deep about it because it's just sort of like well that's the whole point is to push all of us into this like the respectability pro politics of protest being um well, you know, if you're going to break the law, it doesn't even make any sense. If you're going to break the law, you can't be expected to be taken seriously, you know. So people are lining up. They're turning their 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 licenses over to the police before they get there. This has been, this is not specific. I mean, it's it's not new to this moment, but it's it, it's not how it's, you know, you see people getting dragged off during the civil rights, civil disobedience or whatever. They were not signing up for that. I mean, it's it's more contemporary than that, but it's not brand new to, like, just this moment. It's been going on for probably 20 years or so. Um, but the idea that we want to be put, like, yeah, protest is legal as long as you have a permit and you sign up to be arrested and you can make your point. 
And that's the difference between direct action, which would be that punching a Nazi <laughs> or burning up a trash can or, um, you know, other things that don't necessarily involve any, any kind of damage whatsoever. Tree sitting doesn't involve uh, damage, but that's direct action. Um, you can go on and on with those things. So that's the difference. Is Just that different tactics. Different tactics. and um, But direct action specifically generally... I mean, maybe sometimes direct action can actually fall in legal lines, but it doesn't have to. Whereas uh, contemporary kind of liberal democratic protest is legal. So there's that. Um, and I wanted to say a little bit too about why we don't change words like anarchism or communism. I definitely have had folks say that to me before. Well, why don't you just change the word? It has so much bad connotation. And I think there's a lot of reasons not to. For one, they're always going to move the goalpost on you anyway, no matter what you decide to call it. No compromise. <laughs> no, no compromise. No fucking compromise. I would never identify in a different way just to make somebody else feel more comfortable. Absolutely. Except for if it's my gender at work, I guess. <laughs> 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 Fuck my life. Fuck. There's always that. I guess. See, work. It's so oppressive. Dude, it's bullshit. totally going to tell you who you are. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I don't, I don't need to go on a tangent. But, yeah, I mean, I think, like, trying to read... It's, like, just reminds me of, like, just moving, like, from changing the language from, like, abolish or defund the police to, like, the eight can't wait thing. Uh-huh. How they were, like, these are eight things that need to happen right now. And we're just, like, nah, babe, like, that's not what this is. This is, like, police need to go moment. This isn't, like police reform moment like we already been through that but y'all are trying to move the goalpost so that like right or like y'all are trying to like accommodate like the liberal comfort levels of like these concepts but it's like nah, don't stop <laughs> stop doing that yeah, well, they want to move it really from like change it. From, why say defund the police when you mean give them more money so that they can feel better? I mean, that's what's happening. <laughs> that's what's happening. Two years later. Um, Jesus Christ. But even if you called like anarchism something else, you know, you called it like liberatory popsicles or something like. <laughs> 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 Sounds good, though, doesn't it? Um, but popsicles. <laughs> You know, 10 years down the road, they'd move the goalpost, and it would be like liberatory popsicles would be the most horrible, violent thing you could possibly think of. So they're always, so one, number one, the goalposts are always going to be moved on that. And number two, there really is a long history, and in the United States, specifically whereas the word communism is concerned, if you want to be able to trace, at this point, a couple, at least a couple centuries of black activism in this country, you're, you're going to be dealing with a lot of communists. And so, like, you change that word, if you change that word, you, you lose, lose the history. That. Yeah, and it's not, it's not fair to um, people who have been oppressed in a, in a, in, in a very specific way uh, on this territory. So, and also anarchism, you change the word, you lose all of the history. And there are literally, there's hundreds of years of anarchist history. And one of the, what we really are getting into today also is um, how anarchism and anarchistic thought is really about leftism in general. Okay, so, and this, and they all, all these people, these dudes, these white European dudes, um, go back to the same place. Uh, and which is what we're also going to get to. 
So it's important to know also to look here that leftism in general is brought into focus by anarchist history. So like Jacques Rousseau, which we talked about quite a bit from Dawn of Everything, like he's hanging out with Marx and he's hanging out with the anarchists and they're all hanging out together, right? And they're all essentially going against that Hobbesian viewpoint. Um, that also is not, it's not an accurate viewpoint. The Hobbesian viewpoint of, you know, it's war of all against all without oppressive forces to keep us in line. So they're all in the same place at the same time. And that's what really gives into our modern, our modern understanding of any kind of liberatory politics. So if you believe workers have rights, if you believe just human beings have rights to be, to live some kind of relatively free life, Anarchism applies to you. The history of it does, at least anyway. The history of liberatory thinking. That having been said, um, I do want to add in here, and I will make sure that I put this on our Twitter, but there is another podcast that goes along really well with this by uh, an orator named Twin Rabbit. And this was passed off to me from our friends over at Bobancha Liberation Radio when I was talking about this book, and they said, you need to like listen to this, and I want everybody to go have a listen to it. But the title of it is Stolen Anarchy, Playing Indian and the Roots of Collectivism, which he even says, okay, the title is a little bit clickbaity because for the al algorithm, um, the podcast is wonderful, and he points out um, a history that is not at all in this book. But the history is that the people who wind up uh, informing Marx, Rousseau, all of these folks are people, Europeans, who came to the United States and were hanging out with indigenous people in upstate New York. And this is how they were living. And so they're really co-authors of so much of this liberatory politics, and they get no do whatsoever from these folks. So it's like so much that European colonizers did. They took what they wanted and called it their own and degraded the people they took it from. They even used, some of these writers even used um, the people from, this, from Turtle Island as examples of throwbacks to prehistory rather than as co-authors and teachers. So. This history is That's so rude. Isn't it so rude? And so like uh, so much of this history that we're talking about today, even though it goes it goes so far back and it informs really all of all of our academics. Anything you've ever studied in school is informed by what we're talking about today. And anything positive <laughs> from it technically, anything liberatory anything that has to do with, um, I mean, concepts of mutual aid actually come um, from the Iroquois uh, in Seneca, New York. So uh, anyway, Twin Rabbit, go listen to this podcast. I will put it up on Twitter. It's an extremely important part of this history, and I'm so grateful that our friends turned me on to it because I just, I really would not have known. I appreciate when people put it in my hands and Everyone listening now can also have it in their hands. Nice. Paying it forward. All right. So let's see. So if we're backing up to our last episode of the dawn of everything, we understand that human dignity and human rights, our modern conception of it, comes out of the French Revolution, comes from Jack Rousseau, like I was just talking about. 
So all of these ideas, this is a lot of what this book is about, all of these ideas really erupt from a variety of cosmologies. They're spiritual. They come from either religious beliefs or beliefs or a spirituality around nature. So anarchism a lot is seen as atheistic and tends to be atheistic within anarchist circles. You have a lot of looking down on people who uh, maybe have spiritual beliefs. Maybe not as much as, as maybe we're coming through that and it's not as true as it was before. But it tends to be considered very much of an atheistic, uh, and a communism in particular certainly is atheistic. So that's not really where these things come from though. For the most part, anybody who's really considered liberatory politics is coming from a place that human beings have this innate um, this innate value, this innate worth, which is essentially a spiritual understanding, right? Otherwise, I mean, we're just organisms, and look what science does to other organisms. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and also I feel like it's just part of anarchy to just like, I mean, in at least my personal feelings about it, where it's just like a live and let live thing. So like, if one person believes in astrology and one person doesn't, like, they both get to do that because right. they can do whatever they want as right. long as they're not hurting other people. Right. So uh, we can take this back to a little bit to Plato, which this is fun for a minute because this is where we start getting into the magic because Plato was into magic. I didn't... If I knew that, it's kind of wild. It's kind of a wild truth about him. Um, he did lots of work with sacred geometry; was kind of his thing, mm. right? And he had the sacred geometric forms. But he was he was a practicing magician. So, and this gets into math. Math is essentially something that comes from magic. We're really getting to talk about because, in the end, science comes from magic and comes from spirituality. And that's where we're getting at in so much of this. This is where anarchism and, honestly, everything else has its roots. That's kind of what that movie Contact is about. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marrying, like, science and spirituality or, like, allowing both of those things to exist with each other because when sometimes in science you have to just, like, believe something. True. A lot of times you have to just believe something. There's an enormous amount of faith in involved in science. I mean, it's kind of funny to me, the idea, like, <clears throat> in Christianity, you have the idea that, like, well, first there was nothing, and then God was like, I want something, and there it was. But then the basis of our, it hasn't changed. The basis of where we see, si from a scientific perspective, where did we come from? The Big Bang. Because first there was nothing, Right. And then all of a sudden there was something. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, both of those things sound very similar to me. It's just like, was it a black hole that made it or was it an omnipotent being? But, like, what's a black hole? Right. I mean, that's <laughs> right at the end of the day. And then so much, too, in science, like, you, for a scientific experiment to be considered legitimate, it has to be reproducible. That doesn't mean you have to reproduce it. And you can sometimes, you know, read scientists who are like, yeah, because when you reproduce them, you don't get the same results. Explain that to me, right? So, like, you, we may think that all of, that at least a lot of science comes from things being done again and again and again until it's proven to, like, be a, a, 
I don't, what would you call that? To be a legitimate spell? To be a legitimate magical spell? Like, right? Oh my gosh. I don't know. But but a lot of, many of the things in our world don't go through that rigor that we think that it does. And more today, I think we realize we have some really bad science out there. Um, right. So, and, you know, you're t also science is a lot about uh, people's careers, you know, too. So you had, like, Einstein, who for a long time, you know, Max Planck was like, look, here's this quantum mechanics. And Einstein's like, can't see it, can't see it, don't know what you're talking about, because it kind of blew some of his theories out of the water. So Einstein didn't want to acknowledge quantum mechanics and quantum physics, even though he knew it was real. He said so on his deathbed. Max Planck killed himself. Like, this Whoa. is... Right? This is science. This is what's happening I in I didn't science. know about that. I know it's a crazy story, is right? Is Einstein a dick? Einstein's kind of a dick, yeah. Well... Uh -huh. yeah. Conspiracy <laughs> theories. Conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah, so that's... I mean, that's... That's anything that you're... Anytime we're dealing with anything, whether it's history or it's science... You're talking about people who, you know, you don't want to spend 50, 60 years of your life studying one thing, and then some little upstart comes along and is like, you're wrong. You know, you don't want to, like, not only do you not want that emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, you don't want that. You don't want it financially. You don't, it's embarrassing. You don't want, nobody wants that. So yeah, because they don't want to give up their power and status. Right, right. And being wrong, I guess, you can't have any status. Or, like, being so right that one of your students are, are actually found the answer, even though it was against everything you were teaching. I mean, like, why, do, why would that be? It shouldn't be such a bad thing, but it is in our culture, the competitiveness and the need capitalism. to be... Capitalism. Capitalism and the need to be right. So you're right about that. Now, let me read a little bit from this book that's about good old Plato, which is actually, it's, it's a, this is a fun story. I think this is a fun story. So Platonic philosophy and Pythagorean geometry, which let me, let me go there for a second. So because this is fascinating. I think this is fascinating. So the Pythagorean's theorem is A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? Most of us probably learned mm -hmm. that in school. So, and you use that equation to discern right angles or how many squares are in a triangle? It's like the each inner angle of the triangle. Right, is figured out. So you get the surface level of the triangle, right? So you get pyramids. Magical, beautiful pyramids. So that's the Pythagorean theorem. And Pythagoras was a mathematician who honestly did not actually come up with the Pythagorean theorem. Probably mm -hmm. stolen also from indigenous people, I would assume. <laughs> For real. <laughs> For real. So, but nonetheless, um, the theorem is named after him, and he actually had, okay, this is fascinating, he had followers. He was like a Jesus figure, kind of. I mean, I'm adding that in, but what would you call, what else would you call it at this time? Some, yeah. You would, they didn't have schools. You followed your, you followed your teachers around. Socrates was followed oh, around. Crazy. Right? Like they would literally like walk and follow them around. I think so. Or at least hang out around them in the town square. Yeah. And follow them around on their walks. And the I mean, this is like, this is where Jesus, this is where the whole idea of that, this is where that whole thing comes from. Jesus Whoa. was just another teacher. Right? right. Right. And probably an activist. And which is what got him in trouble. Yeah. Right. He was, he was an anarchist probably. And they put him on that cross. I bet he was I an bet, anarchist. I bet he was. 
So, <laughs> um, so that I mean, I mean, Plato actually started the first school, and it's interesting because Plato was um, Socrates's student, and Socrates had this whole thing where he didn't believe in teachers. He didn't. You know, you could have, like, whatever. You could listen to him talk, but mostly he asked questions, right? What about this? What about that, right? And he was like, nobody can really teach anybody. And he had this suspicion about gurus and teachers and schools. But nonetheless, Plato started the first school, and people came to study Platonic theories, many of which were magic early on, and they changed later. Whoa. I know. Fascinating stuff, right? Does so it say, like, what? Well... I'm getting ahead. No, all of that that I'm saying is from previous, like, my, I'm just riffing. Oh, on that. right. Gotcha. Yeah. So, like, I don't, I'm just like, yeah, I don't I'm know. I'm just I mean, like, I what could, like, spells are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> that's all, like, that's all stuff that I just, um, it's just coming up. Anytime I see, like, Plato and Pythagorean's theorem, I'm like, oh, this is fun stuff. Because, I mean, think about this. So, here's this math guy, and people are following him around like a guru because math is magic. It is. So, Platonic philosophy, Pythagorean geometry, Islamic mathematics such as algebra, Jewish mystical text, and hermetic treaties were all, quote-unquote, rediscovered via Muslim Spain and translated into Latin during this time, which would have been the late... Let me find the time period. So this would all be around the time of about 400 B.C., so, or BCE, either way. Um, so this is, that's when this is being translated via Muslim Spain and translated into Latin during about 400 BC. It is well known that the creative recomposition of this ensemble, which would be Platonic philosophy, Pythagorean geometry, Islamic mathematics, and Jewish, Jewish mystical texts, and the Hermetic treaty would all be recompose coming together in the Renaissance, okay? So the Hermetica in particular is largely unrecognized as a font of modern left politics, yet is an important thread running through it. We therefore do well to briefly consider the Renaissance magician before further engaging the Enlightenment and the radical Enlightenment in return. The Hermetica, or Corp Corpus Hermetica, is a collection of texts written in the first or second centuries AD, yet during the Renaissance, they were held to be the work of Aramis. Egypt was held to be an original and thus superior civilization, one that nourished the philosophy of the Greeks, for example, such as the discovery of these texts was especially prized. When a monk arrived in Florence from Macedonia in 1460, carrying some of the hermetic texts, um, he was ordered his translator to drop Plato's dialogues immediately and turn his attention to them. So somebody was translating Plato, and when the Hermetica came up, which is where like you get most of your occult practices from, is from Hermetics. Um, when the Hermetic came along, they were like, they were like, drop Plato, and you need to like translate this text. So magical texts were being put before Plato at this time period of time. All of these works go into to what we see once we get to the French Revolution, which we already talked about in our previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all of these people came together to be magic. Plato was magic. Pythagoras was a guru. That's amazing. That's ama it's a totally amazing. And I love, 
I love to talk about these things and I love to talk about magic and anarchism and we're going to have to continue this next time because it gets so juicy after this. You have all these magic philosopher uh, mathematicians wandering around and then, uh, and then you have a French Revolution a few hundred years later and it's all, uh, it's all comes back to a lot of magic and magical symbolisms and venue politics at the Masonic oh Lodges. Oh, God. I'm not ready to talk about it. I know. Yeah. It's so much of our history, really. Everybody goes back to venue politics. Oh, my God. And we are not. We are still very much trapped in that curse. We are trapped in that curse, that magical curse. Because, honestly, that's what it is. It's what they were doing at the Lodges was magic. And everybody had to get on board. And then today... We're still fighting over venues. We're still fighting over venues and the Illuminati. So, Cool. Well, thanks, Michelle. I appreciate you. I'm excited for learning about Socrates' magician. Socrates the wizard. (laughs) His students, yes. All right, Callie, next time. All right, see you next time. Smiling. <laughs> you can come down, have a cut. Violation of state. Yeah, a bunch of coming down on us. <laughs> 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 Think my testosterone's going up. Oh, yeah. You simply call in your friends. The left coast communists posing as anarchists under Delta Force direction. This is a perfect textbook example of problem, reaction, solution. My testosterone's going up. Oh, yeah. Which is basically the equivalent of a microscopic worm. Starts eating your brain. Oh, yeah. Stop being a worm. You know Let's I mean? not be pussies. <laughs> Choke me out. Choke me out. A bunch of anarchists, 30 or 40 of them tops, run around and burn and break things because they were ordered to do so. We're gonna anarchist, anarchist, anarchist. But we are extremist dissidents engaging in thought crimes.